Yeah, so Father, we do want to lift Greg up to you and ask you to intervene in this. I didn't know that he was even going in for the operation. I didn't. Um, so I, I pray, Father, that um, that uh, you would have your hand upon him and and that you would bless that whole family and uh, bring him through this time. Father, we want your will in it, and we know that it's far better for Greg to go to be with you. So it's hard to pray for uh, these things, but we do pray for healing, Lord, because he is a man of God, and there are so few of them, Lord, and we pray that he would come back, and, and that from the coma that he's in, and from this heart attack, or whatever it is that he's had, and we pray, Lord, that you would be working uh, in his wife, Lord, too, and uh, giving her comfort, and uh, everything that she needs to be able to minister to Greg while he's there. And I pray for that church. I, th I believe it's a small church. Lord, yes. I pray for that church, that you would be upholding them and that they would have joy and peace, Lord, in the, in, in the midst of all of this and that they would be turning each one of them to you yes. to find help in their time of need. And and, and just, Lord, we, we pray for that whole church community and for his family and ask, Lord, for you to do what only you can do. And, and we, we want to... Uh, I ask you, Lord, to remind me of him over this coming few weeks um, so that I might lift up prayers and join in with the prayers of the saints for him and for his complete recovery. And we pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, the upper room experience, we're in John 17. So the upper room experience, which is sometimes called... Uh, began in, ch in chapter 13 of John's Gospel. Um, in chapter 12, halfway through, it says that um, Jesus withdrew with his disciples and he wasn't walking um, out in public anymore. And he takes his disciples, he, s he sends them off to find this room. He says it will be all prepared for us uh, because it's, the, it's, the, it's going to be the Passover. So they're going to go into this upper room which the disciples will go and make ready and they're going, Jesus is going to spend those, that time with them, talking to them about what it means to be a disciple. They are the most intense discipleship chapters in the whole Bible. Um, uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and culminating where we are in John 17. And they are amazing chapters, actually. And, and it's almost like a mini study to do those chapters because it really is... Jesus saying to people, okay, you think you're going to follow me. You're going to actually start a whole movement. Can you imagine that? Eleven disciples are going to start a movement that would sweep the world. It would just sweep the world. And they were nobody special. None of them were special. And, uh, but they just, he, he, he knew, uh, we're going to talk about it a bit later, but he knew his mission, Jesus knew his own mission, and he knew that it would be the most successful mission in the history of the world. And we forget that. We forget that it is the most amazing um, miracle that the church came to be and that it flourished and that it's still growing and that billions and billions of people have come to know the Lord Jesus through these 11 disciples. So when I look around the room sometimes I get quite despondent. I think, where is everybody? And then I think it doesn't really matter because who's here is the way that God is going to work and spread his, his word through wherever we go. So um, Jesus culminates in John, John 17 praying for those people that he knows are going to be responsible for spearheading the ministry that is going to start the church. And, but I want to go back a little bit to John 15 because he's praying for them uh, because, he says, they are still in the world. 
So he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to remain in the world no longer in, 17, in chapter 17, but they are still in the world. And that's why he's praying for them. So Jesus is praying for us now because we're in the world. And, and so I think he wants us to be clear. He wanted those 11 disciples to be clear and to know what sort of world they lived in. And so in chapter 15, um, verse 18, he's going to begin to talk to them about the world. But I want to just read first the few verses before it. Um, he, in verse 11 of chapter 15, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. So everything Jesus has spoken to them about is for the purpose of his joy being in those disciples. And he said some things that they may not have wanted to hear, like they had to wash each other's feet, like ministry, leadership is servanthood, like being a leader is being a slave to everybody else. And, he, and they won't have wanted to hear that because John and James, remember his brothers and their mum saying, can they sit on your right hand and your left oh, hand? Yes. And, and they're all arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Humanly, we don't want yeah. to hear that. Yeah. But that's what he's laying down. And so he says in... Um, in chapter, in chapter 15, verse 11, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Can you see what he's saying? This is what people who love each other do. They lay down their lives for their friends. They lay down their lives so that the other person benefits. Um, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another." That's why he can say my commands are not burdensome because love is the natural outworking of a person who follows Jesus. It is the natural um, work of the Spirit in you that you love other believers. And, and, and actually I find that that's probably <laughs> that's the work of the Spirit in us all the time, helping us to, to lay aside our normal, natural, human responses and emotions, and to pick up instead the, the love, this love of the Spirit for one another. And that's a work of God in each one of us. Um, but can we read on? Because he's going to say in verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. So can we read from that verse all the way to the end of chapter 16, please? Just read a few verses and, and pass on. No, 16, yes, a long way. <laughs> From 18, from chapter, fif chapter 15, verse 18, all the way through the end of chapter 16. I'll start. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. 
but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me, he hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But this comes to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you, <clears throat> that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning the sin because they do not believe in me, and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. A, li a little a little while and you will no longer see me, and again a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I go to the, fa because I go to the Father. So they were saying, what is this he says, a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this? That I said, A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, that you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor and she, she has pain because her hour has come, but when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. 
Therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. These things I have spoken to you in the figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come forth into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question, question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come. For you to be scattered, each one to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Okay, thank you. So um, you can see how he's ended his discipleship program. He's ended it with reality, cold, hard reality. This is going to be tough. The world will hate you. It's hated me. And what he's talking about there is that when he dies, the world will rejoice because they'll think that, you know, Christ, is, is the, the person who said he was God, is dead. He's talking about very localized, of course, in Jerusalem and in Judea. And then he says, but you, when, I, when you see me again, you'll start to rejoice because you'll know that I'm not dead and that I've defeated death and that everything I told you has happened. And the thing is, we can't transport some of those things because they're not true of us. We won't see Jesus. We didn't see Jesus as they saw Jesus. I mean, they touched him. They touched his, his, his um, ascended body, his um, resurrected body. They touched him. They saw the nails in his hands. We don't see that. Maybe in a dream some people do, but we don't in the cold light of day. But they did. And that's what he's talking about. These men, 11 men, will start a movement that will overcome the whole world. But he's telling them this before they have the Holy Spirit, before they have what we have automatically when we believe. So they're having now to take in all of this and still not understand it all. And he's going to go to his death and they still won't understand it. And so it's, you know, it's really important, I think, that we read things in context and we understand what he's saying. He says, I chose you out of the world and appointed you that your fruit would remain. He's talking to 11 men who he did choose. He prayed the night before he chose them. Luke's gospel tells us that. He, he prayed for God to tell him the names of the people who were to be his 11 closest disciples, or his 12, actually, including Judas. So he, he, these things are not true of you and I. It's not true that he, he chose us from a whole band of people following him because there were lots of other people following him who were also disciples, but they weren't the intimate 11. So it's important because otherwise we downplay their role. We, we can tend to downplay their role and say that we're all the same as those first 11 disciples. We're not. We're not. God did a different thing in, in those 11 than he, 
he will do with us. But it is true to say that the same Holy Spirit that they received at Pentecost, we received when we believed. It's and funny, isn't it, that they still didn't believe. No. Were, yes, believe. I know. But we, how do we struggle, Kim? You yeah, know, yeah. we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Yeah. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. But we have so much else layering and yeah. going on and coming at us that we also struggle yeah. to believe. Yeah. But uh, the point I'm trying to make is, though we are not the same as them, his prayer incorporated all of us. <coughs> I pray also, he said, for those who will believe in me through their words. So his prayer for protection, sanctification, glory, all those things is also for us. And he will do a work individually through us that will be like, similar to the work he did in those and through those 11 disciples. Because Paul will come after this time. Luke will come after this time. You know, writers of the New Testament, Jude, James will come after this time. Do you think that they went around saying, well, I wasn't in the innermost 11 or 12, so I'm not going to do it? <laughs> you know, yeah. well, you could have called me. Why didn't you call me? Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So humanly speaking, this is difficult for us to kind of work into our own lives. But with the Holy Spirit's help, we can, I hope, come to the understanding that Jesus prays for each one of us and that he is going to do his amazing ministry through each one of us and corporately through our churches and through our, this ministry, for example. So he's describing the hostility that they're going to face. And, um, and I asked in the homework, you know, <coughs> what are the problems that they will face? I think I asked, what are the problems that Jesus tells his disciples they will face? And what are the resources that they will be provided with? Because definitely... We face the same sorts of problems and we have the same resources. So I don't know if you looked at the homework at all or did it, yeah. but if you did, now's the time. What are the problems that they will face? The world hates you. The world will hate you. What form will that take? Persecution. 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 Uh, what else? Thrown out of the synagogue. Yeah. Even, yeah. Death so in Death in some cases. What else? And see what they're going to face. They're going to be thrown out of synagogues. They're going to be persecuted. They might even be killed. And if that's not enough, the people who do it will think that they're serving God. So, yeah, Paul did. So think about that. So there's no... They're going to look out at their world, which is not our world, and they're going to see people in their own families, maybe some of their former friends, who are going to be persecuting them and even sending them into prison and maybe even having them killed, thinking they're serving God. Well, it's not within because they won't be within, will but they? Because but it was within their remit. <laughs> yeah, it was in their circumstances. And those people who are doing it won't understand that they are working against the work of God and not for the work of God. Yeah. That's a difficult one. Well, I think that it's difficult for us to take that straight thing because they don't. But I think what we could say is within the church, we have so much hostility to varying types of things. So 
this denomination hates that denomination, and this one says that's not right, and this one says that's not right, and we have all this critical, uh, judgmental attitude amongst ourselves, and that overspills into, sometimes into opposition, persecution, that sort of thing. Go ahead, Carol. Can I, can I just say at that point, that judgmentalism thing, um, a friend of mine who's a lovely woman of God um, has a very clear picture of two mountains. And one mountain was unbelief in the general population, mm. not, mm. I mean, it included Christians, yeah. but yeah. it was general. One mountain was unbelief, and one mountain was that judgmental criticism, mm. and they, mm. they were of equal size. Mm. And what the Lord was saying is the more you're judgmental, the more that unbelief exactly. stands. If, you, if you're less judgmental, mm. then uh, that, mm. that mountain of unbelief mm. will decrease. Mm. I spoke to somebody on Monday who'd been to Kesey. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, 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 the thing is, I think we have the mistaken uh, thought that we have to agree with everything every other Christian says. That we have to have, that there is a perfect theology that's available to humans and that, that everyone has to adhere to that perfect theology. I think it is impossible for a human being to have perfect theology. It is, but, uh, but they're taking this, Julia, and they are... No, they're not twisting it. They're just understanding it in different ways. And so, so what I'm saying is that you can have people read the same chapter and one person will say one thing and another person will say the other thing. And if we're not careful, what we get is into our nice ivory tower that says, well, I've got perfect theology. And so you don't think, well, I think, therefore, there's something wrong with you. But what I'm saying is... How can we, as finite, pea-brained individuals, yeah. understand the perfection of God, the yeah. mystery of yeah. God yeah. completely? Yes. So what I'm saying is, why can't we allow people a little bit of leeway? Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're not talking about sin. Sin is sin. There's no leeway with sin. Sin is black, it needs to be out of the church. But everything else, why can't we just be a little bit more gracious? By God, by God. Gracious. Yes. 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 It is hard. It is. Yeah. It is. It is, which is why we need to be in here all the time, and which yes. is why God says pray unceasingly, which is why he says pray at all times, which is why he's constantly reminding us, you can't do anything without me. Because we can't even make that decision without him. So, you know, um, I mean, there's so many issues. There's so many different things that, you know, can Christians drink wine? I mean, you know, there's a whole school of thought that Christians cannot have a drink of any description, any time. Well, it doesn't say that in Scripture. I don't read that in Scripture. But some people can make a good case for it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's not an essential. No. 
So can we not agree, okay, I think differently than you on that? Let's just agree. We, we both agree that we can't get drunk, but let's just agree that I might think it's okay to have wine, you may think it's not okay, let's just remain. And Paul talks about that in Romans. He talks about it and he says, accept, accept the differences because they're not important. But go on. Mm. Verse 12 and 15, because he starts off yeah, before love he starts one another. Dialogue, I said, I, I wrote it, yeah. it wasn't a choice, it was I command it's a command. to love one yeah. another. And then yeah. he goes on with his dialogue, yeah. and I think yeah. we forget to do that. We, we do, we do. So what I'm trying to, trying to get at is, they had their problems. Within what was known as the people of God, they would have opposition, and the opposition would think they were serving God. So now I'm taking that and saying, okay, we're not in that situation. We're not in Israel. We're not Jews. But we are in a church that has many different opinions. And the people will think they're serving God when they're, you know, ostracizing other people or when they're saying false teaching, heresy, 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 just over something like wine or eating meat or being a vegetarian or endless things, endless things that we are finding to disagree about. Types of worship. You know, Alan's bought this CD, Lauren Daigle. She sings at Bethel. She sings at Bethel. And, and her music is produced mostly by Bethel. Okay, so there's lots of people who say Bethel is teaching heresy. Th parts of their teaching I would call deception or heresy. I'm not saying he knows he's teaching that, but I'm saying it is heresy as far as I can see. But uh, uh, am I to tar all her music? And say, well, I'm not listening to her music because you know she's in a church where there's so much deception. Yes. It's like, what? Don't be ridiculous. Yeah. She has a beautiful voice. She's singing about Jesus, and she's encouraging me to sing and think about Jesus. Now, surely that must be God's will for her and for yes. me. Yes. So. Can you see what I mean? There's yeah. fine lines that we have yes. to draw. And if we don't have this grace, Jesus was full of grace yes. and truth. Yes. He wasn't just full of truth. And he wasn't just full of grace. He was full of both of them. Yes. And we, if we're supposed to be like him, are supposed to be growing in grace and in truth. Yes. And uh, sadly, there's a lot of grace missing. Yes. There's a lot of grace missing. What was the reference for where Paul said to accept the differences? Uh, Romans 13 and 14. Um, so. Exactly. Mm. And then only in recent years with ISIS. Um, but it then becomes very barbaric. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just killing somebody. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It can. And I think we're going into those times. I do, Linda. I think we're going into a times. Linda's brought up about the Middle Ages when. Um, People were burned at the stake, and yeah, you know, um, and people killed Jews. I mean, the Christians, so-called Christians from the Crusaders. Europe, Crusaders, yeah. went over to Israel and Arab countries yeah. and and murdered um, Jews. And I mean, endless, endless things. Catholics who, the Inquisition in South America, and I mean, just endless barbarism in the name of God. Yes. And ISIS, you know, Muslims um, killing Christians, cutting their heads off, you know. We live in, in, in barbarous times and have always, actually. The whole human history is full of murder and wickedness. 
Um, so it's how we live among in there. So it, the point I think Jesus is making when he starts to talk to them about this hostility, just before that saying, as Rosie said, you know, um, love one another, is that it's imperative in a world that is cutting off people's heads, mm-hmm. Christians' heads, in a world that is putting burning Christians at the stake, in a world that is putting them in labour camps in China now and in North Korea, it is so important that we love one another. It's like crucial because where will we go for support? Where will we go for help if if we can't go to our fellow believers? And do I care if you think that someone can't drink wine or eat red meat? I don't give a jot. I don't. You, if you have that principle, that's fine. That's fine. I might think you're right or you're wrong, but it's fine. I'm going to love you anyway. And, and that's where we have to get to, to this place, um, making sure that we are upholding the reputation of Christ through it all. And there's the key. <laughs> there's the rub, as they say. How do we do that? We do that by total dependence on the Spirit. And as he takes us to the word. So um, what are the resources they'll be provided with? What, what has Jesus told them that will be the things that will enable them to do what he's calling them to do? The helper will come. The helper will come. The Holy Spirit will come. And uh, yeah, what else? They can ask. They can ask. And now what's he told them, which, which is different? They haven't had this before. What's different for them in their prayers? Jesus in his name, he will. Yeah, he will. But there's something more, actually. Jesus will be interceding for No, he says, I'm not going to be praying for you to the Father. You can come directly to the Father. And that's a massive difference because that's never happened before for them. They've always gone through the priest to God. Through the priest to God. So now he's saying, you don't need to go through a priest because... He has been the great high priest, or he will be when his death and resurrection. So you can go directly to the Father. Why? Because the Father loves you as he loved me, as he loves me. So it's radical for them. But think about us then. What are the resources we have? What are the resources? The same. So so how does that impact us? We're praying directly to God who is our Father who loves us us who loves us I mean just think about all the things as we said just a minute ago all the things we disagree on all the things we argue about all the things we're up in arms about within the body of Christ Mm -hmm. think about God I mean if he took umbrage at everything I said or did wrong I would never get off the floor exactly he is patient he is kind he is full of compassion he is full of you know, love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we as his people are supposed to be like him. I don't know about you, but you know, <laughs> sometimes that's hard. So, um, but what I'm saying is that Jesus is very particularly telling them now, I don't need to pray for you. You can go straight to the Father. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something that I've come across this week. An unbeliever who's just discovered she's got some health problems, and and she texted me and said, "Pray for me." Yeah. I said, "I will pray for you, but you can pray for yourself." Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 There's no, there's no barrier. No. Well, I thought I, I was only, I'm 
Shoreline, you said the other week when we were talking about praying that if an unbeliever prays, the answer they will get is that Jesus loves them. Yes. Yes. Because he wants them to, to come, come to, to him. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing is that the whole concept, I mean, what Carol's telling that person is true. You can go directly to God because he hears and knows and cares and, and he loves you enough to send his son. So there's no question about God's love for that unbeliever. He wants that unbeliever to come to repentance. But the answering of the prayer, and I wouldn't tell this to an unbeliever, is will he specifically answer your prayer for whatever you're asking for if it means you're not going to come to Jesus? Or will he rather not answer that prayer so that you get more and more desperate and yes. so that you, yes. in the end, say, okay, yes. God, yes. I, be yes. you know, I believe, yes. you know, because yes. I've got nowhere else and I'm lost without you. Yes. That, to me, is what God is more likely to do. Yes. So, but that's something we're sharing. Yes. We're not giving that to unbelievers. Yes. Um, we're saying God loves you yes. and he wants you to know him. Yes. So yes. ask him. Yes, Well, I am actually in some ways saying that. It is a healing if they come to God. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I have another friend who is dying and that hasn't got very long. And my prayer for her is that that whole process will cause her yeah, to, to go. Out yeah, to God. exactly. Um, yeah. You know, not, not that yeah. she'll necessarily be healed in the yeah. flesh, as it were. But yeah. It's a tricky one, Sue, isn't it? Because Hebrews says, the writer of the Hebrews said, uh, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Yes. So, but now, okay, you take that verse, so that would mean that God doesn't answer the prayers of unbelievers because they don't believe that he's God and they're not seeking him. Yeah. They're just seeking the answer to their prayer. But the writer to the Hebrews is writing into a situation that is vastly different to ours. He's writing to Jews, both believers and unbelievers, who are about to face a terrible judgment. And so what he's trying to say is, all you believers, believing Jews, and you're praying for things, you need to believe that God is, and you need to be seeking him for who he is. You know, that's too much to tell an unbeliever. Yeah. <laughs> You know, um, no. So anyway, so we've got the same resources. We can ask in Jesus' name. We can go straight to the Father. We will have the Spirit indwelling. The same resources they had. And so now, going into John 17, Jesus is going to ask his Father for some things for those disciples. And he, you know he's asking them. He's asking the Father for those things for us. And um, so what's the first thing he asks for, for the, for the disciples? The first five verses. Glorify your son. He's asking the Father for glory. He's asking for glory. Um, uh, he, he says, I brought you glory on earth by completing the word, work that you gave me to do. And uh, because the work was finished, God was going to lift Jesus to his presence and give uh, Jesus the glory that he had with you before the world began. That's what basically Jesus is saying. Okay, what do we understand from those five verses? The world that we live in that is hostile to us, what can we know from this prayer of Jesus the first five verses, is true about us too. Well, it is true, isn't it? 
hated. Yes, yes, yes. But don't you think he's also letting us know we live in the world now, but this world's not the end, and we're headed for glory, just as he was headed for glory. God would raise Jesus from the dead. And because Jesus is resurrected, we will be resurrected. So whatever we face now, whatever is happening to us, not only are we being transformed into the image of Christ who is glorious and are we going from glory to glory, but the end result of our life is glory, glory, glory. It's, it's because we will be in the glorious heavenly realms where God is. So um, the end for Jesus was glory in the presence of his Father. And that's the end for us. Glory in the presence of our Father. Yeah, eternal life. So what does glory mean? What does it speak of when you say glory? Yeah. 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 When you say the word glory, though, what does it mean? Glory. Yeah, it's brightness, isn't it? It's brightness or splendor or or majesty or sun or a sunrise, radiance. Yeah. Yeah, radiance or reputation actually glory can also mean reputation so when we're referring to god it's got enormous magnificence hasn't it you know the glory of god yeah exactly um and when you glorify someone what are you doing then what are you actually doing when you're glorifying god you are showing them to be who they are. You are, in a way, focusing people's attention, your attention, on who God is, on his majesty and on his splendor and on his radiance. And So in those verses, for example, which talk about glory, a wife is the glory of her husband. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, I think it says that. Um, the wife is the glory of her husband. What does that mean? She's upholding his reputation. She's upholding his reputation. She's shining a light on the fact that her husband is who he is, his reputation. And so if, if a wife is the glory of her husband, what would the role of the wife be? Is to let you know how great my husband is. That's that in that instance, for that particular thing, not that's not the purpose of my life, but that is what what Paul is talking about when he talks about that is that my role in, in the husband-wife relationship is that I want you to know how great my husband is. Everything I say about him and everything I do about him is for the purpose of you seeing him at his best. At his best. No, it's difficult because this is a two-way street, Alan. We haven't got to you. So it is a two-way street. But I've, you know, that that's the thing. Now, why is that the case? Why are wives the glory of their husband? I just want to tell you, Stuart Dawn, who's now with the Lord, used to be the director of IFB, and he said to, to us once, he said, "Give me five minutes with a, a wife, and I will tell you about her husband." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because he's a headship. What no yeah but think about just think about that because head is a funny word head in scripture can mean 
head, like top, or it can mean source source of. So I'm not going to go into all of that because that's another whole different thing. But if a wife is to be the glory of her husband, why is that? And how does that relate to everything else that we know about Christ and his wife? Because she's the Who are we? We are the bride of Christ. We are the wife of Christ. We are to be the glory of Christ. We are to glorify him and to be the glory, the upholder of his reputation. So when we bicker and when we fight and when, we, uh, when we're constantly doing each other down to try and raise ourselves up, that does not glorify our husband. That's why we're not supposed to do it. It's nothing to do with, you know, it, it's to do with my purpose in the relationship with Christ and me and us is we're the wife, he's the husband. We are to uphold his reputation. And that's really good, actually. You say, you know, that's really good because it does away, it makes us realize. Focus. Yeah. 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 Let's try to focus on that. Yeah. What's their purpose? What are they doing? Are they exalting the name of Jesus? You know, have they got it all right? No, probably not, nor have we. No, so, exactly. you know, let's just yeah. move on from that. And let's think, okay, one day we'll all stand before the Lord and he's not going to say, well, you didn't get it quite right on the meat thing. And wine, you know, wine, I mean, I'm, I was a bit dodgy about you having that one glass of wine for communion. That really wasn't good. You should have had grape juice. You know, I mean, let's just, is he really going to say that stuff? No. He, you want to stand before him and hear him say, well done. Well done, child of God. You really lived out what you say you believe. You really did live for my glory. You, did, you did, really did do what you could do to uphold my name. Don't you want to hear that? I don't, I don't care if I'm wrong about loads of things. I just want to be right about the essentials. I want to be right about my focus on uplifting the Lord Jesus and, and showing him to be who he is. Makes you cry, doesn't it? Makes yeah. you cry. Yeah. You want to do that. Don't get bogged down in all the other stuff because it's not worth it. No. Like I was thinking what we do that's even more shameful. So you have had that glass of wine and I, it doesn't agree with my theology. But instead of telling you that, I'll go and have yeah. a conversation with mm. Kim. Mm. And then Kim will see somebody else down the road. And do you know what Rosie mm. said to me? Mm. And we do that, which I think is even, even more worse. Shameful. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I, I want to say right up front, I do not have perfect theology. I'm sure I'm wrong on, on certain things. Hopefully not too many, but, you know, I, I'm sure I'm wrong on things. And if you hear me say something and that you think that's wrong, I want you to come and say to me, I'm not quite sure I understand that. I want that. Can I just mm. say something? I was reading a book the other day by um, Warren Wearsby mm. about the B-series B for the Apostles. Um, and it was in Revelation. He said there were 13 Apostles. Mm. And I went... Well, he got 13 because Matthias replaced Judas, so they had a vote afterwards, or they cast lots, not a vote, sorry, they cast lots for who would replace Judas because there had to be 12 disciples. Well, he was, yeah, okay. Oh, apostles, sorry. Yeah. So maybe he's talking about Paul. 
He's talking about Paul and, mm. you know. But, but still there were only 12. You count Paul, though. Paul was an apostle. Yeah, but isn't there, wasn't there only 12 with, with Paul? No, and no. then there's others. There's Paul, there's, uh, if you read through Romans chapter 16, you'll find that there were other apostles. Um, but you see, you've got to differentiate. It's like, okay, what is an apostle? There were 12 original disciples. One of them walked away. He was replaced by a man called Matthias, I think. So that's 12. They were the original um, 12 disciples on which the church was built. Then comes Paul later. Then comes Silas. Then comes Barnabas. Then comes various other people. Yes, they can be. They can be. But they can't be Apostles capital A. Oh, right, okay. Because they didn't have a personal experience with Christ, i.e. a face-to-face experience. So are they Apostles? Yes. Apostle means one cent. So they're missionaries, let's put it that way. They're missionaries. But if Warren Wiersbe, who is a wonderful student of God, if he says they're Apostles, I'm more likely to believe him than me. So, you know... that's the thing. And, and yeah, I mean, Romans 16 says quite clearly that there's a woman who is called outstanding among the apostles, Junius. But for hundreds of years, her name has been changed so that it sounds like a, oh, sorry, Junior, so that it sounds like a man's name. Junior. But it's not a man's name. In the earliest manuscripts, it was a definitely a a female name and now the church has gone back to understanding that she, she it was a, a female yeah. but because in our traditions we can't have women doing big jobs <laughs> you know so we've got to downplay it all yes. it's and, and what's that about you know when we get to be with God what's he going to say mm. I, I just feel sorry for people who say women can't do this and they can't do that and they can't do the other thing because they've got to stand before God one day and uh, have God ask them what did you do with 55% of the church? Yeah, what did you do with them? You just clamped them down and told them you can't do this and you can't do that. You make the coffee. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's uh, you know, it's sad. It's so sad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's at least fifty-five percent of the church is female. Mm. Hello, Gwen. You made it through the storm. <laughs> oh, did you? Okay. Very good. <laughs> I'm glad you made it. Yeah, good. Okay, so glory, that's where we are. So Jesus' work on earth is finished. He's going back to the Father. He's asking for God to glorify him. And his purpose, he says his work is accomplished. He's accomplished his work. So what was the work that he had to accomplish on earth? Yeah. What, what, what was his whole ministry about, he though? He came oh, to die, but yeah. but in that, what, even beyond that, actually, let's say, yes, he came to die to show us God. He came to reveal God. He was God in human form. So he came to reveal the uh, character of God and the glory of God. Now, okay, he accomplished that, and God took him to heaven. When do you think God's going to take you to heaven? 
when you accomplish the work that you're here to do? What is that work? No, to reveal God, to reveal Christ, to reveal the, the saviour of the world. And, and when that happens, God will finally glorify you and me and take us to be with him. And, and, this, and, and what he says here is really crucial for us because we have to think about the fact that this world is not permanent. The things that happen in it, the things that happen to us individually, corporately, the things that happen to us, it's a momentary light affliction, Paul will call it. A momentary light affliction. Which is lovely that he doesn't deny it. You know? Yeah. So many people can be yeah. so religious that they just brush it off. And yeah. As a believer, you've got to not feel yeah. it. But actually, things do hurt. Yeah, they? they do. Momentarily, they do. And the Lord to me. They do. Yeah. And also, we're bound in time. So when Paul says momentary light affliction, I think he's got an eternal perspective when he says that. Because certainly, your 70 years and or three score year and 10, the, the afflictions don't feel momentary or light. Because we're, we're seeing them in this, like, this prism of uh, almost like a Petri glass. You know, they're right there. But when Paul's speaking, he's speaking about eternity. And then you start to see, okay, this... This time is momentary and it's light affliction. So um, what will happen when we have fulfilled our purpose? We will be taken up to be with the Lord. And what will we be like? Glorified. Yeah, we'll be glorified. We will be like him. We don't know yet, John says, what we'll be like, but we do know we will be like him. We will be splendid, Barbara. <laughs> Even more splendid than you are right now. Go ahead. Shining like the sun. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of several wonderful, godly people that I've known who have died young. And, you know, everyone thinks, oh, isn't it terrible? And it's what you just said makes sense. Yeah. They were one particular guy. He was crippled for 15 years with spinal Yes, exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what that's what she's saying. Yeah, yeah. The funeral was another. Uh, yeah, exactly. The thing is, it's 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 this work of of forcing our minds to to hold on to the eternal perspective. Yeah. It's hard to hold that because it's not natural. So we have to keep keep concentrating on keep pushing our mind to the eternal perspective, to the reality that God is my Father and He loves me, that He is at work in my life through thick and thin, good and bad. He is at work in my life, making me into the image of Jesus. And that when I see him, I'm going to be like him. Mm. I mean, it's just wonderful. Mm. No, nor do I, Chris. I said I'll have to live forever. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Well, you will, you but will. I'll be there any day now. 
So anyway, so glory. Okay, so how will we pray for each other, for the church? How will we pray knowing that? I mean, how will you pray knowing that, that eternity is going to be glorious, that the part of eternity we have not yet inhabited will be wonderfully glorious and splendid? How will you pray? Yeah, that you'll hold that image and that everything you see, you'll see through that image. And that and when you're praying for me, you know, please pray that I am able to separate the, what is it he says, separate the profane from the holy? The what is that? The vile from the... Yeah, focus. I pray that I have focus, that I can see things for what they really are. Yeah, the vile and the precious. That I can actually differentiate between... You know, things that are momentary and light yeah. and things that will have eternal, um, eternal weight. You know, he is producing for us a, an eternal weight of glory. That's what Paul says, Second Corinthians chapter 4. This momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. I mean, I want to concentrate on the glory. Weight, like a weight. Second mm. Corinthians four, I think it's about verse sixteen. So, how does he go on? We'll just uh, quickly talk about how he goes on. Um, uh, will somebody read John seventeen, verse six to ten, please, and then we'll talk about that, and then we'll. I take manifested it. Oh, actually, uh, somebody else can read. So I've got, I've got the King James. Okay. These and those. Okay. <laughs> six to ten, please. Out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything sorry, now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. They are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. Thank you. That's fine. Okay, so what is the work that God has for us on earth? Is it to be great? Is it to have a huge ministry? Is it to be a noted evangelist? Is it what? What is it? To glorify God. It's to. That's what he wants. He wants a very simple thing. Every believer, no matter who we are, no matter how small or how large or how how great or how humble, every believer can do what God wants us to do, and that is to glorify Him to show him to be who he is. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter anything. No human thing matters, only that you live to show him to be who he is. And that's what Jesus did. Why did Jesus come to a backwater you know, 2,000 years ago? No telephones, no TV. Why did he come then? to show us who God is. Why was he born in a stable? To show us who God is. Why did he suffer the way he did? To show us who God is. So when we're thinking about all the things that we think about in our lives and, and all the things that we want to uh, be and do and have, and 
none of it matters. None of it matters because we can manifest God's name wherever we are and at whatever we are doing. And that's the purpose of our lives, to manifest the glory of God, manifest his name. Okay, how will we best do that? How will we best do it? That's a good thing. By loving one another. That's what Jesus said. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He didn't say they'll all know you're my disciples if you go out and you, you know, speak to hundreds of thousands, if you give the gospel to every person on the street, if you, you, know, if you go around in sackcloth and ashes. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you know, if you repent and repent and repent and repent and spend your whole life flat on your face, afraid to get up because, you know, you're not worthy. He didn't say any of that. If you love one another, if you love one another, everybody can do that. Everybody can do that. He says, Jesus says here, I have given them your words, the disciples, and they have believed in him. And now he wants them to speak out those words. He's given us his words, and now he wants us to speak out those words in grace and love and truth. And, and what, what is to be the character of our lives then? Yeah, we're talking about love. Okay, we're to love one another, but we're to, having loved one another, we're to go out into the world. So what's the character that we want to be showing out in the world? What's our character to be? Yeah, so what's that? What is that? What did Jesus say? He said, I am the light of the world. John's Gospel opens up with, um, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. And lo and behold, later on he'll say, you are the light of the world. You are, Exactly. You are the light of the world. Paul will pick it up in Ephesians and he'll say, you used to be darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So what's the character of God out in the world? Light. What does light bring? Well, what does it dispense with? Darkness. And what, what's contained in the darkness? And? Ignorance. Unbelief. Fear is contained in the darkness. Anxiety and depression and suicide and deception and all of that is contained in the darkness. Yeah. Light is sh light shines. No children are afraid in the light. They are afraid in the dark. Yeah. No humans are afraid in the light unless you know. Obviously, there are some extreme cases, but we with light with what what does light bring? It brings understanding. It brings illumination. It brings clarity. It brings joy and peace and all of those things. So when we're thinking about how we are supposed to be, how are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be the sort of people who bring peace and joy and understanding and enlightenment and take away fear and don't worry about, don't cause worry in other people or bitterness or all of that stuff. We're supposed to be people who walk into a room, metaphorically speaking, and actually light it up. Everywhere we go, darkness has to flee. And, and if we can remember it, just remember it. Jesus bids us shine. 
shine. Yeah. Yes. Now, you're, we're all thinking, okay, you think, okay, that's what I've got to be. I've got to be light. Oh, my goodness, I can't be light. I don't feel like being light, and I don't want to be light, and I don't like where I'm going, and why should I light it up? Let them all stay in the darkness, you know. <laughs> we have those moments. Well, I have those moments. Let them all stay in the mo- So what must be true of me? What has to be happening in me to enable me to be light? Changing and... Jesus has already said, my resources. What are the resources those disciples had and we have? The Holy Spirit. Praise God for his spirit. Because he is light in me. He is light in me and through me. And on those days when I don't know how I'm going to be light, I trust that he will be light in and through me. And that's what the Bible tells us, doesn't it? It tells us, you are light in the Lord You used to be darkness, but now you're light. And God will see to it that you shine. So um, how is he enabling us to do that? By answering the prayer of Jesus. Jesus prayed that the, the Spirit would come and that God would do this. He gives us his Spirit who manifests himself through each one of us. And what else does he do to enable us? Just to finish before we have coffee. I know you're dying, but, you know... Um, what else does he do? The spirit comes and dwells within us. And then what? So we're all able to be light, transforms us. But what else does he do or bring when he comes? Yes, 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 yes. We've got past that. Now he's living within us. Yeah, so he's living within us. We now can be light in the Lord. What did he bring when he came? Holiness, all this wonderful stuff. He brought specific gifts to specific people. He manifests himself through us in specific ways for the common good, for the good of the body of Christ. So when he does that, how will that be? So he he manifests himself through us. So how should that be, the outworking of that? How will that be? Yes, but what, what, what will it bring? Yes, that's a good word, renewal. Come back to the word we were just talking about. It will always bring light. A gift of the Spirit, a working of the Holy Spirit through you will always enlighten the body. It will always build up the body. It will always bring harmony and peace and joy and it will bring clarity, and it will remove fear, and it will, it will have the effect of building up the body of Christ. So if you're trying to think about your gifts, and you think that you have the gift of words of knowledge, and every word of knowledge that you bring to everyone ha- causes that person to go down into a deep hole, you better check yourself out, because that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. If everything you say to me, uh, and I had a word from, from the Lord for you, and you know, you tell me that word, and I feel flat as a pancake, that is not a word from the Lord for me. He doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit does not work that way. He edifies and builds up the church. It's always building up the church. If anyone comes to you with a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a prophecy, which is like totally misusing the word of prophecy, but let's say they come, I've had a word for you, a prophecy for you, and it's that you're going to go into a terrible time of sickness, but just hold on because, you know, it's going to get worse before it gets better. (laughs) Do you really think that's from the Lord? Do you think that's how he works with his most precious children? 
God is not a God. I mean, he has wrath, and his wrath yeah. is coming. It is coming. And, and you know, there's going to be a tribulation. It's going to be terrible, and I hope I'm not in it. But, but what I'm saying is, w- within the body of Christ, that's what we're talking about, the light that is supposed to exist in the body of Christ should always be working towards harmony and joy and peace yes. and grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. If there's anything that does not achieve that, almost certainly it is not of the Lord. It is not of the Lord. So we'll finish there and take a cup of coffee. Um, Father, thank you that... um, Thank you that you are uh, no respecter of persons, that you use donkeys and stones to, to fulfill your purpose. Thank you that we are the sheep of your pasture, that we belong to you, that you know us all by name, that you know our rising and our sleeping, our going out and our coming in, that you know every detail of our life and and still you love us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you for these words of Jesus that we've been looking at and, and for what we can learn from them about our own lives and our own prayer lives particularly. And help us to pray, Lord. Please help us to pray. Remind us constantly of the great need we have to talk to you and to hear you actually speak to us. And then, Lord, help us put into practice what we hear. Father, you know, I don't know, just remind us, Lord, that we do belong to one another. We belong to one another, that we have been connected by your Holy Spirit. We are part of one family. And our role is to build up that family, to edify that family so that together we can exalt the name of Jesus. And that's what we want to do, Lord. We want to do that. So I pray that you would uh, continue in grace and mercy towards us, that you would um, show us those areas that you might want to tweak a little, and, and that you would help us, Lord, to go along with your work through your spirit. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, so... Um, uh, God gives us his spirit, he answered Jesus' prayer, he, he, he gives us his spirit and who manifests himself through us in various ways at different times. I don't believe that just because you've got one, one gift you won't get another. I think that God looks at the body of Christ in, in the individual areas that we are and he, he, he manifests himself through people at different times. So it might be that one time you had the gift of giving and then later on you find, oh, you've got the gift of showing mercy or teaching or, or words of wisdom or whatever it is. Because the Holy Spirit, his whole purpose in manifesting himself through us is for the edification of the church. So, um, uh, And he will, in that section, which I didn't quote, but it's 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7, where Paul is writing about the gifts of the Spirit and he's trying to talk to the Corinthians about those, the way that the Holy Spirit manifests himself, expresses himself through people. He says that uh, the Holy Spirit brings the gifts, the Lord um, gives the ministry. So the Lord Jesus gives an area of service for each one of us. And each one of us has an area of service. It may not look like full-time ministry or any particular church ministry, but its area is for the building up of the body of Christ, either bringing people in or growing them up when they're in. And there's different ways to grow people up. Some people need extra grace. They need special grace. Not all their lives, but at certain times. 
Some people need to be loved. They need their, lo their socks loved off, if you know what I mean. They need to be loved because they haven't known love in their life. They need to be loved especially. There are others who don't need so much of that, who need more practical help. But every single one of us is enabled by the Holy Spirit to be what the other person needs at a particular time. I think so. I mean, what, what do you mean neglected? Didn't know you had or just didn't use? Or What do you call prophesying, Alan? Mum and a girl just walked across my palm and I said, excuse me, I said, you're going to go to America to recall an album. And she said, no, you're totally wrong. I can't even get into the worship group. I said, you're going to leave the worship group. Can't also be sure. Sent me a letter through a mother who went to the church and said that I was spot then she went out of the blue, she was invited to demo this in America. And she had been asked to leave the worship room. Mm. Yeah, so I don't understand what you mean by neglecting that gift. That gift is a word of knowledge at a particular time for a particular person. Yeah. It may well be that there's been no particular time and no particular person that God wanted through you to speak to. I don't know. I mean, you would presumably speak if God, asked, if God told you what to say. I know that without even asking that you would be jumping right in and saying what you felt he wanted you to say. So you're not neglecting your gift. It's perhaps just that he's choosing to manifest himself in a different way through you at the moment. Yeah. And I think God does that, Alan, because I think he looks at the body of Christ where you are, at the at where you're ministering, where you're fellowshipping, and he sees what's needed. Yeah. And whatever's needed to build up the body, he uses people to do that. Yeah. So I don't think I, I think there are varying types of teaching gifts. I think there are varying types of um, speaking gifts. I think it's not necessary to stand at the front and to be a teacher. I don't think that's necessary at all. But people, we, we categorise things. We want things in neat boxes. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And he can't be put in a box. Oh, you're always telling us you shouldn't say that. He can't be put in a box by our, our human. He's put himself in this box. But he can't be put in a box, can he, Carol? Thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> No, she's quite right. I do say that. I do say, when I say you can't put God in a box, I say don't believe people when they say you can't put God in a box because he's put himself in this box. But what I'm, you know what I mean. Yes, I do. Oh, for goodness sake, you know what I mean. Okay, move on. 11 to 19. Yes. Um, somebody read 17, chapter 17, 11 to 19, please. 
Oh, oh, sorry, just before that, please write down on your notes, you will pray for yourself and for the people around you in this ministry that the Holy Spirit would manifest himself, well, he will be, but that they would know that the Spirit is manifesting himself through them, that he would open up an area of service and that they would walk into that area of service. Um, that's what ministry is. It's just an area where you can serve. It, it doesn't mean anything spectacularly spiritual. Ministry is literally area of service. So, um, you know, so just pray that for each other. Pray that for yourself. And be unafraid. Because everybody, the, the Holy Spirit wants to manifest himself through each one of us. He wants to do that. Okay, so seven, John 17, 11 to 19. Somebody read those verses, please. Now I have no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray that thou shouldst keep them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is true. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Whenever I read that about um, thy word is truth, I always think of design truth. Mm -hmm. ah. Good. It's our, um, our statement verse. Yeah. Okay, so we've, we've covered this in the last couple of lessons. We've covered the sanctification that's going on, so we're not going to go too much into that, but I wanted to just think a little bit about the fact that Jesus has consecrated himself. He has sanctified himself for our sake. For our sake. So what do you think that means exactly? Why does he say that here, and what, what do you think he wants them and us to know? Yes. But he wants to do it for us. Yes. Yes. Well, that's true. Because he wants them to know that his life on earth, there was a process going on, a sanctification. Yes. I definitely because think that. That is what's going on in our lives. Yes. It's a process, isn't it? Yes. It doesn't just happen. No. It's a process. Yeah, he says, for their sakes I sanctify them myself, that they might be, they themselves might be sanctified in truth. Yeah. So, but there's something else in there. I definitely think that's true, Rosemary, that he did. He, because Paul will later say, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. So obedience was a thing Christ had to learn as a human being, just as it is for us. So, but I, I wanted to really think about, you know, he says he sanctified himself for our sake. And what does that mean? So sanctification is being set apart, consecrated for God's use. But when you came to Christ, what happened to you spiritually? Justified. Mm -hmm. Born again. 
born again. Yeah. You were set. You were. You were set apart, and you are now in Christ. In Christ, He has already sanctified Himself, and you are in Him. And Romans will tell you that when He died. God identified you with his crucifixion. Romans chapter 5, it says that when Christ died and you were crucified with him and buried with him and raised with him. So spiritually speaking, you are not who you were. So when Jesus is praying, sanctify them in the truth, he's praying, help them to, humanly speaking, be sanctified in the truth, but remind them that the truth is that they are in me and that I am in them. You are already holy because he is holy. You don't live holy all the time because you're still human and you have a human nature. But the reality, the spiritual reality of your life is that you are holy in Christ. You have to stand on that truth. Well, why do you have to stand on that, Rosemary? Because that's a really important thing. Why do you have to know that and stand on it and wrap it around yourself and keep telling yourself why? It is protection, and because you have an enemy who wants yeah. you to think that it's all about you and that you won't make it yeah. because you are not good enough. Yeah. That's yeah. The, uh, by far the majority of Satan's work towards us is to remind us of all our shortcomings, yeah. all our failures, all our weakness. Yeah. And if he can do that, because then the thing is, he's telling the truth. You are weak. You yeah. do have failings. You know, I am. I do have sin in my life. But we're strong in Jesus. N- no, because once you start... Because I'm not strong in Jesus, Juliet, all the time. I'm not. He's strong in me. Yeah. He's strong, he in, strong me. in me. So yes. now I'm in him, and I'm covered by his holiness. But I'm weak, and I'm imperfect, and I do sin. And I have thoughts I don't want... I would never share with you because they're so horrible. So I... There's still that going on in me because the work of sanctification in me, in my character, is still going on. But the work of sanctification of my spirit is already done. It's done in Christ Jesus because I'm in him and he's in me. And I have to remind myself of that because every evidence of my life is the opposite. And the enemy is coming in all the time and reminding me of all that I'm not and all that I should be. And so we have to be telling ourselves, Christ consecrated, sanctified himself for me. He sanctified himself for me. He set himself apart for me. He went through all that he went through for me. He learned obedience for me. He, he suffered on the cross for me. He did all of those things for me. Obviously for all of us, but for me. It does, Rosemary. It wants you want, makes you want to cry. And what it should do is remove the weight that Satan keeps putting on your shoulders. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But Satan is coming with this huge sack of rocks. And every day he wants to put it on your shoulders. And every day he'll take one rock out and say, look at that, look at that. Call yourself a Christian and that's still going on. And back it goes on your shoulders. And Jesus' truth is, he sanctified himself for me. I am 
totally and utterly identified with Christ. When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he was resurrected, I was resurrected. I am spiritually born again. I am spiritually a new creation. And I will never, ever, ever go back to where I was. I am forever, eternally the child of God. And I have to remind myself of that. Hmm? It's such good news. It's such good news. I mean, it's, it's amazing. That's why it's the gospel. It's amazing. But we have to remind ourselves of it because the enemy comes in like a flood. And he is wanting to bring us down. And, and of course, one defeated believer means ten defeated believers. Because the body, yeah, the body is a body. You know, I need my right leg to work. Because if it doesn't, my left leg hurts. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I need yes. it. I need yeah. you to be, I need you to understand your position in Christ. That's why the truth is so important. That's why deception is so terrible. Because deception strips the truth from us and drags us down. So, uh, Satan is our enemy. We're going to suffer because he is head of the world system and he is out for our destruction. That's definitely true. We will suffer in this world. We will face enmity and hostility, persecution, maybe even death. We will face those things. But God, but God, he has done a work in me that can never be undone. Wonderful, wonderful truth. Um, and, and that truth is communicated through the word of God. And that truth is communicated to us by the Spirit of God who takes the words on the page and makes them real in our life and gives us understanding of them. Never trust someone who says you can have the word without the Spirit or the Spirit without the word. It, that's not true. Yeah. That's not true. So, um, God sanctifies us through the truth. He is building our character, changing our character into the character of God. He's working on our soul. Your spirit's done. It's done. Your, your soul is being transformed into the, into the character of Christ. And in that way, you are manifesting Christ out into the community. And that's a slow process, like you said, Rosemary. Sometimes that takes too many years, you know, to get done. But it's, God is at work. And, um, and our... our job, if you like, in that is to fully align ourselves with that work and to want more of that work in our life. And I've got a question here, you know, the, the, the message of God, the truth of God, the gospel, the good news, has that produced a passion in you, a zeal for God? Has it produced in you a great desire to make this God known because he's so glorious? And if it hasn't, then no shame in it. You know, you don't have to tell people, but, you, but I would advise you to pray. Pray. Why does Jesus say pray at all times? Pray, pray or faint. Because prayer is the way that God, God we, we talk to God. He responds to us. And that is the way that we find out our weaknesses and he can be strong in us. It's only, I'm not strong enough. I'm not. I'm not strong enough to live one day without it, 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 for the Lord without him. I can't. I'm just not, I, I just can't do it. I need his Holy Spirit, and I need the confirming assurance of the word, and so do you. We need it. And, you know, people talk about needy. Oh, she's so needy. He's so needy. 
you know, he's not strong and mature. Do you know what? Look, at, look in the mirror. We're all needy. We're all needy. We're all weak. We are all imperfect. We none of us have perfect theology or perfect anything. We are all of us weak, empty vessels. Thank God he's filled us with his spirit. Exactly. That's it, Rosemary. Wonderful. Okay, so um, imagine, imagine that passion in, in this ministry, in the church as a whole. Imagine, imagine. So let's move on. Verse 18 and 19. Um, Jesus will say, um, where are we? As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. He was in the world, but not of the world. He was sent on a mission by his Father. And in the same way, we are sent on a mission. Exactly the same way that Jesus was sent, we are sent. And the mission is? To make God known, to reveal God, to make God known. And um, uh, so in a way, Jesus' mission is our mission. His mission was to make God known. Ours is to make God known. And we call that the Great Commission. Go out into all the world and make disciples. That's the Great Commission, and that was Jesus' mission. So actually using those words, commission and mission, what does that make each one of us? Missionaries. We are all missionaries. We are missionaries in our street, in our town, in wherever we go, we are a missionary. Matthew 28. Um, the end of Matthew 28, 19 and 20. So that's, we are all missionaries. So if you want to know one of the ways that God manifests himself through you, one of the gifts of the Spirit is you are a missionary. You have been sent with the gospel message. I think one thing I would say Sorry, is that... No, no, there's no problem. One thing I would say is, Julia, I'm sure in your neighbourhood everyone knows you're a Christian. Yes. Right. Yeah. And everyone could come to you and ask a question. So sometimes it's better not to talk, to wait. If he has a question at some stage, he knows where he can come for an answer. Sometimes people don't want things kind of... You know, I don't want to say ram down. I don't mean you're ramming it down his throat, but they don't want this constant. You know, um, they. Uh, he said no. Okay, no, no. He's chosen. No. So everyone has choice. Yeah, pray for him, which I'm sure you do. Pray for him. That that. Yeah, and 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 he knows. Everybody in your place knows that they can come to you, which is an amazing thing. They all know you're a Christian. So let them come to you. 
Um, okay, and so now we come to the last part of the prayer, verse 20 to 26. Could somebody read those verses, please? I do not know. I love this bit. Yeah. I do not ask that the heart of these are going to be true. But for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us, folks. Yeah. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known. So that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. It is. It's absolutely wonderful. As Sue said, it's just wonderful. She loves this bit. Yeah, she loves. I love that bit too. Um, it's just wonderful. Um, so, but let's. I did talk a little bit before the break about uh, kind of an understanding of, of the church and the mission that we're involved in. Um, when you think about it, the church age began what two thousand twenty years ago, roughly two thousand and whatever years ago. That's when the church began. Yeah. And um, in all of those years, 2,000 and odd years, people have come to Christ indirectly or directly through those 11 men's message. Wow. Through 12, yeah. So through, it will include Matthias, he'll get a look into, but through that message, he, that people have come to Christ, billions of people have come to Christ. It's like you say, 12 men. You came to Christ through yes. the message of the apostles. Yes. You came because the gospel message was passed on. So never, ever, ever underestimate your commission or your mission. We are part of a global mission that literally changed the world. We are part of something that has eternal significance and has completely and radically changed the face of this planet. Mm. Yes. It's too big to think of. Mm. So when you're thinking about, when we in our day are thinking about the not being able to say things and not being able to speak, not being able to take our Bible around, all the persecution that's happening around the world, remember this, through all of that persecution, through all of the difficulty, yeah. God was magnificent. Mm. He brought about this whole wonderful success story of Christ. None of the difficulties or the persecution or the work of Satan has been able to stop the work of God. I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And he has built his church. I can't get over it. I just, I can't get the, the magnificence of it in my head. I just can't get it in. He also turns bad to good, yeah. doesn't he? Because, mm. you know, you, you could argue that in areas where there's persecution, the church has grown. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And is now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
So I wanted to think a bit, really, I, I've called it the greatest success in the history of mankind, the church, Jesus' mission. And uh, he knew in advance what he would, what he would accomplish. Mm. He knew in advance, before he ever came, before he made the world, he knew what he would do. And so the first thing that he would do was he would die and be raised from the dead. Okay, I want to turn these things into a prayer for us. I want to think about his mission, and I want us to pray with a view to mission, or the commission, the great commission, in, in a way of kind of understanding our ministry individually and as a whole, as the body of Christ. How can we look to what Jesus did, knowing, his, knowing the success of his ministry, let, or mission, how can I turn that into a prayer, being confident of the success of mine? No, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. How do I turn it into a prayer that will actually um, show that I know he knew in advance his ministry, his mission would succeed? Do you know in advance that your mission will succeed? Or are you bogged down with the human element of failure? We should know that it will continue because God's on our side. Yeah. But it's living in that reality. How do I live in the reality that, that actually my ministry will be a success even though the outward circumstances look like failure? Because it's like when we sow a seed. You know, that seed may not come to fruition exactly. in my lifetime. Yes. With younger people. Yes. Yes. So what I'm thinking. So what I'm thinking is, how does that inform our prayers? How does that change our prayers? How does that make us pray now, knowing that? Because Jesus, he knew his ministry would be successful. His mission would be successful, and and yet he knew he would die, and then be raised. So I know I will die, and then be raised. In some ways, spiritually, I've already been raised. But I know that death is not the end for me. I believe that death is not the end and I will be raised. So even persecution that results in death is still success in this mission. Exactly, we can't lose. So how do I hold on to that? And I hold on to that by praying. By praying and trusting that what God says to me in his word is actually true. And the more I pray, the more God confirms the reality of it to me. So he's going to die. He would send his spirit. He would send forth his spirit, whom I am the recipient of. Thank you, God, that I have your Holy Spirit, that I have the spirit of Christ in me, that he has already succeeded and he will continue to succeed through me. Thank you that my ministry will be a massive success in ways I may never see, but I trust because it is your ministry with your spirit and your, um, your desired end. The apostles would preach the gospel. Those fishermen would preach the gospel. Yes. So thank you, Lord, that your spirit in me ensures that I am able to preach the gospel in word or in deed or both. I can do what those apostles did because I'm the same as those apostles and your spirit is the same spirit in me. Thank you that there may be hundreds, thousands even, of people who will come indirectly through my obedience to the mission that you set before me. Imagine it in heaven. How many people might be there waiting for you 
and they'll say, you didn't know me, you knew my grandmother, but she told me that she had a conversation once with you, and she told me that same thing. And later on in my life, I believed it. They're there because of your word to that person. And you're there because the, uh, the apostles passed the message on. Yeah. Our ministry is absolutely guaranteed to be successful. Yeah. It is guaranteed. People were converted by the apostles' messages, 3,000 in one day. Yeah. It, and it would go on and on, down through the centuries. Billions of people. Boy, yes, billions of people have heard that word yeah. and have been yeah. saved. And it has come at them through human mouths. It has come at them from people who said, I want to magnify the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to live for him. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I haven't anything, anything in me that could possibly do it, but I trust that God will do it through me. The church is formed through those 11, 12 disciples. They formed a church. That church has been growing and growing and growing. And even though we live in days where it seems to be shrinking, nonetheless, in other parts of the world, it is exploding. Yes. When we get above this world and look with God's perspective, the church is taking over the face of the earth. It is exploding in places that you could never think it would. So we live in a place where it is dying. It looks like it's dying, but it will never die because Christ is will always have his people. And yes. you and I, we are his people. Yes. And we will stand and he will enable us to do so. I mean, I just can't tell you how amazing this is. So this shapes our prayers. It shapes our prayers. Instead of saying, please, God, will you please do this? It's like, oh, God, help me to see what you are already doing. Help me to be a part of what you're already doing. Help me to lay aside all my human Stuff and think about the purpose for my life, which is to magnify you and make you known. Help me to do that, knowing that you will answer that prayer. Amen. You will. You know, we look at ourselves and we think, oh no, how can God do anything through me? Instead of looking at him and saying, of course he can. He can work through donkeys and stones and bits of wood. Why could he not work through me? And I'm a, he's, what he wants from you, what he wants from all of us is simply your desire to be, to live like for him. Yes. That's all. That's all. So, how are we going to best manifest this? He says right at the end that they would be united. That's what he says. The glory which I've given them, you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I cannot emphasize enough the importance. God has put us in a body. He doesn't want Lone Ranger Christians. He wants us to work together to reveal and manifest his glory. And we do that better together. It, he, if he didn't want that, he'd have sent us all off all over the place and not put us in a church. He's put us in a body, in a, in a church. He puts us in fellowship. He wants us to work together. And in order to work together, we have to learn to love one another. Oh, my goodness. And we have to learn that we are not perfect and that what we think is not necessarily God's think. 
God's yes. thinking. Yes. I can't tell you the number of people who come to me and they say, I thought this and I think the Lord's saying this. And you think, how could you possibly think the Lord's saying that? Because that's not what the Lord's, it's completely the opposite of his word. We have this idea that every thought in our head means is from God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but it's like, we, we, we don't seem to understand that, you know, as you said, there's a work in progress. There's a process going on. And go on, Rosemary. Um, it's the same for others as well. Exactly. You know, we, we, we sometimes feel that we're the only one. Yeah. Yes. Mm. But yeah. the others, those, they might look better. Yeah. Battle a bit more. Yeah, yeah. You, they have still got those issues. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Exactly. And one thing we have to understand is that you are no longer who you were, yeah. and that 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 ninety percent of people you meet are shy. Ninety percent of them are shy. So you go into a place and it looks like everybody's got everything together and you think about yourself and you think, oh my goodness, what on earth am I going to have to say to anybody? You know, nobody's going to want to listen to me. And look, they're not coming over to say hello to me. They're ta all talking amongst themselves. They're not saying hello to me. It's because 90% of people don't know how to do that, especially in Britain. They don't know how to do it. And yeah, the British. And so all we need to do is decide, you know what? Christ lives in me. Oh my goodness, I have the king of the universe in me. I'm going to go and say, how are you? And I'm going to really listen to what you say. How are you? And I'm going to share within my fellowship, I'm going to share how I really am. Because I'm going to expect that people will pray for me. So all of that. He, we pray to the Father on the basis of what Christ has done. He wants us to love one another. We, you can't love people who don't love God's word. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, you know, unity is great. I'm all, we need to be loving one another. But there are some essentials that we have to believe. Yeah. Yes. You, cannot, you can love someone, but you can't be in unity with someone who doesn't believe the essentials. Yeah. If someone doesn't believe in the resurrection of Christ, you cannot be in fellowship with them. If someone does not believe that the word of God is the word of God, then you, I'm sorry, it would be very hard to have fellowship, to be in unity. Yeah. If, if someone doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit is still living within people and, and gifting people, then I'm sorry, it would be difficult to have fellowship. Not that you can't love them, but it would be difficult to work together because yeah. you haven't got the same purpose or plan. Go ahead. where you are in church, but there are a lot of people in the church and I go to, I don't know. Um, and so how do I know where they are yeah. and their understanding and their there you go. And, and what they believe? Mm -hmm. um, so if you start talking to somebody and you actually believe that they, you suddenly realise that they think something completely different and they, have, you know, they mm. understand something different, mm. the right response, I think, is, is actually not to try and convince them, no. not to try and persuade them, but to pray for them. Mm. Yeah, like you, you know, it's difficult to say, well, I'm, I'm, this person, doesn't, we're just not on the same wavelength, so I can't have fellowship with them, so I'll never speak to them again. I don't believe I always think no, that all again Christians isn't. always reveal themselves so, to somebody. You I know, think yes, I don't this is a non-born again, again once. That, that, oh, there's yeah, no, no such yeah. thing as a non-born again Christian. 
is that's an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. You can't possibly have a non-born again Christian. You have to be born again. Yeah. So there you go. So there, first of all, you've got people who are not Christians. But the but the basic thing I think is that if we're trying to have unity and understanding that we don't get everything right, that we're non- nobody is perfect. I th- I really think that we need to do a lot of listening and very little talking. I think we have to sit down with people and say. You know, like yeah. so, so someone might say something that they, uh, you know, they they think that Christ wasn't resurrected, which apparently a lot of people think in the Church of England, Christ wasn't resurrected. So you'd want to sit down with that person who comes to church regularly, who's trying to be kind and nice and doing all the right things, and you want to say, you know, where does that come from? You know, what? Where did you get that idea? Not in a kind of condemnatory term, but you know, where did you get that idea? And then you'll find they'll say, well, so-and-so told me. Oh, where did he get it, do you know? And, and so you go on in this questioning idea of let's communicate with one another. Let's communicate. Because people don't want to be beaten over the head. Yes, yeah. I mean, when you say, I can't be in fellowship with people who... Mm. who I'm talking about people who deliberately don't want that. So you go through that process of communication oh, yeah. and they still say, well, I just can't believe that. I'm sorry, I just can't believe it. Yeah. I won't believe it. So, I mean, you, you have to reach a point where you say, okay, I'm going to still love you. I'm still going to talk to you. You see, I call fellowship something different to just talking to people on a Sunday morning. Yes. Fellowship is when we come together and we decide, you know what, we want to do, we want to be about our Father's business. Yeah. We want to be missionaries in our world. And how can we do that? And so, what I'm saying is, if a person's sitting there and they don't believe Christ was resurrected, it's hard then to say, right, our mission is to do this because yeah. they're thinking, well, I don't even believe in this God they believe in. So that's what I mean. Yeah. Mm. But if they are doubting to that, to that degree, is it best to pray for them? Because I've met people like that and they don't want to listen to you. No, so then you, yeah, so then you just pray for them. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, fellowship is not just chatting and having coffee and meeting on Sunday. Fellowship is deciding we have some... Fellowship means something in common. So, and the thing that we have in common is Christ. So everything about Christ has to be... We have to be having common with each other. And our ministry is to... Um, uh, to, you know, perform the Great Commission or to do the Great Commission. So... Um, fellowship is not what we think it is most of the time. So I've got to understand then that there's a great difference between uniformity and unity. There's a difference between uniformity and unity. And I can only have unity with people who believe that Jesus is God, that he was born of a virgin, that he died on a cross, that he was buried, that he was raised, that he... He's now back to being God. He was God. He, God took on flesh. Those things are crucial. And I am to have unity with them. And if you look at it, in Romans, where Paul talks about this unity, he doesn't say, get yourselves together and have unity. He says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. So that means unity already exists. Preserve it. Make every effort to preserve it. That's what I'm talking about, communication. That's what I'm talking about. There is already unity that the Holy Spirit has brought. We can't drum it up. Mm, sure. Yeah. 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 
For what? What, what? Why would we read her book? You know. She just talks about. Initially, it starts off with her testimony of how she became Christian. Um, she says she was in Israel and she had somebody given her a prayer for her to put in the wall. And she she had this prayer folded up and she put her hand on the wall to put this prayer into the wall and she saw this vision of Jesus and Jesus was saying to her. She didn't look up. She carried on looking at the wall. And Jesus was saying to her, I love these people and I love this land. And that was it. But for her, it was a real revelation. And she just based this book on it. There are a few bits in that I wasn't quite sure about. She did say that um, this lady in America has prophesied that there will be a huge revival starting in Wales, bigger than the revival about 100 years ago, and she says it will go up to Northern Ireland, all around the country, come back to the Midlands, and then radiate to America, um, Switzerland. Well, let's hope she's right. Yeah. But this thing about Israel is more than that, Juliet. This is, yeah. um, she's had her understanding about Israel. That's yeah. good. Um, Sheila's talking about people who have no understanding about Israel and who think that the church has replaced Israel in the scheme of God. And so, um, yes, of course, God loves those people. But you could still hold that God loves those people, yet the church has replaced them at, in, as his people. So, no, but that's what Sheila's saying. There are huge parts of the British church who believe that, who believe replacement theology. And uh, can you have fellowship with them? I would say, no, you cannot. But I'm not going, that's nothing to do with whether or not they're saved. So I'm not talking about their salvation. I'm talking about effective fellowship. What is fellowship for? It is for the promotion of the gospel. Yes. It's for the promotion of God and making him yes. known and revealing Christ. I can't, don't think I can have fellowship with people who think that God broke his promises. Because the God that I worship doesn't break his promises. So if you believe that God replaced the Israel with the church, what you're saying to me is that God's love was not everlasting towards them, that his covenants were not eternal covenants, that he didn't bring the new covenant in through Christ. Who he, so all of that is not true, and I can't have fellowship with someone who says that's not true. But would I say they're not saved? I, I would not say that. I don't know if they're saved. I don't know. They haven't read. Well, they say they have, and that we haven't read it right. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. See you. See you. Yeah. So, I just want to finish because this was about praying through the door of faith. This was praying. You know, I've spent a lot of time today trying to get us to see that Jesus' prayer is our prayer. We can pray that prayer. We have the same 
mission that he came to fulfill, we fulfill in and through him. And that we have to trust that he is at work in us. Now, I'm not talking about deliberate disobedience. If you say, do you know what? I don't want any of anything to do with this ministry and I don't want anything, then I'm, I'm, you're, you're sorry, you're not being light in the world. I mean, that's just the bottom line. You have to be in obedience to the written word and yes. to what you know of God. But if you are, to the best of your ability, even though it's a process, if you want what God wants then you can be sure you will get it and that he will use you in a magnificent way in this glorious success story that is called the church. And so I want to finish with some things. What did Jesus ask for believers? He asked his father for certain things. And do you think it would be good for us to pray that for one another? And the answer is yes, you do. And so that's how we're going to end. I'm going to say what those things are. He prayed for glory. He prayed for um, the glory of God to be made manifest through them. Not for their own glory, but for God's glory to be made manifest. He prayed for their preservation. He prayed for their sanctification. And he prayed for their unity. And I think that we should be praying those things for one another and for the body of Christ as a whole. Um, would, his, would Christ's prayer be answered? Did God answer Christ's prayer? Yes, yes he did. Is he going to answer our prayer? Yes. yes, he will. And what will the impact be? It will be huge. Make it a, a, a kind of habit. To pray in this way, not with the same words, but to pray in this way. Lord, we pray for persecuted Christians around the world, that you would preserve them, that you would hold them through their difficult times. You know, I want to pray for the body of Christ here in Sirencester, that we would all be one, even as he is one. That the differences we have in our understanding of scripture would not get in the way of our mission, which is to talk about the Lord Jesus and make his, his glory known. Um, you know, those things. So shall we end with that then? Shall we end uh, with, um, yeah, and, and will we pray through the door of faith? By that I mean, will you believe that what you're praying for, God will answer because he has given you this prayer. Of all prayers in scripture, this one is given to you by God himself because God himself prayed this prayer. So, yeah, we'll just spend, you know, five, ten minutes, well, we'll spend, yeah, five or ten minutes praying this prayer, and then see where it leads us.